The nuclear industry counts on we the people to be easily confused by their double talk, and they love to play the game of the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Case in point, recent meetings on the decommissioning of the Pilgrim nuclear reactor in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and what's going to happen to the highly radioactive so-called spent fuel rods, which are filled with radioactive plutonium. While the decommissioning company, Holtec, is under intense political and public pressure to not build a consolidated so-called interim storage facility, or CIS, in New Mexico as a dump for highly radioactive waste, up in Boston, at a public presentation, they're implying, if not stating outright, that it's a done deal and will be taking the dangerous waste away from the urban Boston area by misleading the public in many ways, including... And on one of the slides, it said that Holtec was planning to open a CIS in New Mexico and should be taking waste shortly after in 2024. So they're setting up the people to believe that, and that's what everyone wants to believe, it's going to be out of here. That's not happening. And so people aren't really hyper-focused on what's really happening with the waste in Plymouth. Well, when you hear a genuine expert and eyewitness to these events catch out a major nuclear industry player in such a blatant, let's not call it a lie, let's just call it a misdirection for now, it once again points out how insidiously we are all being manipulated to remain sitting in that terrible seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, we catch up with the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Plant in Plymouth, Massachusetts, which was shut down more than two years ago, but the decommissioning by Holtec is still embroiled with safety issues and ongoing dangers. We'll share two interviews with Diane Turco. She is director of the Cape Downwinders on Cape Cod, a group that's been fighting against Pilgrim Nuclear Power Reactor for more than 40 years. The first interview is from 2020, a full year after the shutdown, and provides a clear picture of the problems faced in the decommissioning process. The second is an update with new information on more recent Holtec lies to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Just because we shut them down doesn't mean the battle is over, and Diane fills us in on the latest Holtec headaches. We will also have nuclear news from around the world, Numbnuts of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness and more honest nuclear information than has shown up in the $3.5 trillion budget bill and infrastructure plan. 
All of it coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, August 24, 2021, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. In New Mexico, a proposal to build a so-called temporary nuclear waste storage site near Carlsbad drew a lawsuit against the Nuclear Regulatory Commission by the state of New Mexico, which sought to block the project. The NRC has asked the U.S. District Court for the District of New Mexico to dismiss the state's lawsuit due to lack of jurisdiction. The state alleges that the NRC acted illegally in issuing an environmental impact statement for the Holtec project, and New Mexico Attorney General Hector Balderas cited the Nuclear Waste Policy Act and argued that federal law stipulated a permanent repository be available before an interim storage site like Holtex could be permitted. No resolution yet. We'll keep you informed. Fairwinds Energy Education's Arnie Gunderson, their chief engineer and one of our most reliable sources, has taken on Bill Gates in an open letter in Counterpunch. He states, you have made a huge mistake by proposing to build a sodium-cooled small modular reactor in Wyoming, saying that it follows in the footsteps of a 70-year-long record of sodium-cooled nuclear technology failures. He called it an unproductive techno-solution and a techno-fix scheme, and we'll link to it on our website. On August 30th, environmental justice groups across California will be going to the state legislature to protest state agencies' failure to clean up contaminated sites. Included in this group will be Melissa Bumstead and Parents Against Santa Susana Field Lab. In Japan, at Fukushima Daiichi, radioactive water has been leaking from the main building for Unit 3, which is outside of the reactor containment. Tokyo Electric Power Company admits that it contains notable amounts of alpha radiation. It is fine particulate, and that means that fine fuel particles are leaking out along with the water. A July 2021 study estimates that a buried zeolite wall in intended to block contaminated water from leaking into the ocean is expected to last 70 years while the cesium-137 has a half-life of 30 years and will last in its contaminated state for 300 years. And in more Fukushima radioactive water news... Nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, none that's out of week. Tokyo Electric Power Company has found a new way to frame its release of radioactive water from Fukushima Daiichi into the Pacific Ocean in the hopes that people won't notice that they're releasing radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean. They've decided to build a new submarine tunnel about one kilometer long, run pipes through it, and release the water from Fukushima nuclear power plant offshore. The water is contaminated with the radioactive substance tritium. And while TEPCO said the treated water will be diluted by releasing it offshore, what they're actually doing is dispersing it over a wider area. It will not make it any less potent. It will just make it less concentrated. It's just more smoke and mirrors and radioactive blah, blah, blah from the company that brought you Fukushima Daiichi's triple nuclear meltdown. And that's why, TEPCO, once again, you are... Nuclear Hot Seed, none that's out of week. 
We'll have this week's featured interviews on the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Plant in Plymouth, Massachusetts in just a moment. But first, well, we are off and running with the Nuclear Hot Seat website redesign and rebuild. I had to wait for my web genius, who is based in Thailand, to clear enough of his schedule for us to get started, but we are on our way. We'll have a new wireframe for how the site is going to operate by later this week and spend the next two months tweaking the structure and functionality as we load in the content. This is not a mere template to make the site prettier. It's a full-blown, ground-up restructuring of the site to make certain that Google doesn't bury it in its new algorithm. The site will be easier to find in searches, load faster, be more secure, and all future upgrades will be easily managed. This has been necessary for a while now, and all systems are go. However, it's a big step for Nuclear Hot Seat. And of course, this level of website development is expensive. Very. I'm grateful to those of you who have already donated to help with the 50% upfront deposit. But before the site can go live, it will need an equal amount of funding. And for that, we're going to need your help. If you've come to value Nuclear Hot Seat's work, providing you with nuclear stories you can't find in mainstream media, vetted facts, context, and continuity so you can understand the full picture, the time to support us with a donation would be right now. We make it easy. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com, click on the big red Donate button to help us with a donation of any size. You can also set up a monthly $5 donation. The same as a cup of coffee and a nice tip here in the U.S., so if you value the nuclear information you get every week from Nuclear Hot Seat and want to help us continue, please do what you can now. And know that however much you can help, I am deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Now here is this week's feature. Just because a nuclear reactor gets shut down does not mean that its problems and dangers go away. Case in point, Pilgrim Nuclear Power Plant in Plymouth, Massachusetts, located at the foot of Cape Cod. It was shut down permanently on May 31, 2019. But the problems at the site and the problematic actions of Holtec, the company tasked with decommissioning it, are legion. To give you a sense of what's going on, including the most recently revealed problems, here are two separate interviews with Diane Turco. She is director of the Cape Downwinders on Cape Cod, a group that's been fighting against Pilgrim nuclear power reactor for more than 40 years. The first interview with Diane is from episode number 472 from July 9, 2020. That was one year after the shutdown. It spotlights Holtec's decommissioning lies, misstatements, and Diane's still pending trial for trespassing because she demonstrated to two NPR reporters just how lax security is on the site. Diane Turco, it's always a pleasure and an eye-opener to have you on Nuclear Hot Seat, so welcome. Thank you for having me. Pilgrim Nuclear in Massachusetts was shut down on May 31st, 2019, and is now facing what every nuclear reactor and community faces, decommissioning the facility, and then what do we do with the deadly radioactive waste that's left behind? Let's start with a little bit of history of the site. What were the problems there? And give us a picture of what happened at Pilgrim leading up to the shutdown. 
Pilgrim was rated by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission for four years as the worst reactor in the United States. And as the NRC completed their special inspections and found more and more problems, systemic mis mismanagement, not fixing equipment, not filing reports, but the more oversight that the NRC provided, the worse Pilgrim became. And it's just systemic mismanagement, and we're seeing that transferring over to Holtec right now. And we're very concerned about now the decommissioning. I thought when they shut down Pilgrim, I could retire and play with my grandkids. What has been happening at Pilgrim since the shutdown? It's a little over a year now. Holtec. Holtec is a major problem. And the lack of the nuclear regulatory oversight, as we know, is historical. So Holtec came into town and professed that they would be open and transparent with the community about what they would be doing during decommissioning and how they would be handling the waste, when in fact they were not. And so we're seeing a corporation that has a reputation for corruption, bribery, and scandal, and they're now patting themselves on the back for the settlement with the uh, Attorney General's office in the state of Massachusetts. What were the issues involved between the state and Holtec that led to them having to negotiate their way into a settlement, and what and how good or bad is that settlement? The Attorney General in the state of Massachusetts determined that Holtec really didn't have the funding available to do a safe and complete decommissioning of Pilgrim. And they felt that there were financial, environmental, and public safety concerns that weren't being addressed. So they, the Attorney General's office filed a petition to intervene in February of 2019 to make sure that we were protected here in the state of Massachusetts. Well, it took over a year for this to be resolved. The NRC staff approved the license transfer and that happened and they hadn't even addressed the Attorney General's concerns. And so Holtec has just been moving forward on their own without considering what the needs were of the community and the state. Is it typical that the NRC, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, our national regulators, would ignore the concerns of the attorney general of a state that is dealing with a nuclear reactor that has to go through decommissioning? Well, the NRC's regulations don't protect us, and our state is trying to, so the NRC is, is feeling that they're, you know, what they're doing is the right thing, and it's not happening. Luckily, our state did get some good concessions in this agreement, but dealing with Holtec, we know that, you know, again, a, a corporation that's known for bribery, corporation, and scandal, can we trust that this is really going to be upheld? So when the Holtec came to Plymouth, their vice president, Joy Russell, stated that Holtec had an impeccable safety record. And we had to turn around to her and say, well, how many reactors have you decommissioned? Zero. And second, we said, and you know what? Have you been following what's happening at San Onofre? So we already know that we can't trust this corporation to do the right thing by our communities. What was their response to the San Onofre query? <laughs> a dirty look to me. <laughs> no answer. That was it. No answer. No. Now, Holtec, and I find this to be laughable, Holtec has said that they can handle the entire decommissioning job in about eight years. 
how mm -hmm. realistic is that and how confident or not confident are you that they can do the job properly, let alone in that time frame? I have no confidence in Holtec upholding what they say. Holtec had a um, slide presentation at the Nuclear Decommissioning Citizens Advisory Panel in Plymouth. It's a public event, it's broadcast. And on one of the slides, it said that Holtec was planning to open a CIS in New Mexico and should be taking waste shortly after in 2024. And CIS is Consolidated Interim Storage Site, which yes. is a whole other subject we've been covering on Nuclear Hot Seat right. as well. I caught that reference and I was wondering whether they were trying to say, oh, it's a done deal and we'll just ship the waste when there's no approval, there's no site, there's no legality behind it. Exactly. So they're setting up the people to believe that, and that's what everyone wants to believe, it's going to be out of here. That's not happening. And so people aren't really hyper-focused on what's really happening with the waste in Plymouth. Now, Plymouth is America's hometown. They were going to be celebrating their 400th anniversary this year and having millions of visitors come to Plymouth. And this waste site, this waste dump is not protected. You know, I have gone on the property with multiple reporters where we've been on the property for 30 minutes, eyeballing the dry cast, waving to the security cameras, and no one comes out. So safety is a word that should be put in quotes when it comes to Holtec's dealing with Pilgrim. Yes, yes. You mentioned the Massachusetts Attorney General, Maura Healy. She's the one who first called Holtec's plan for decommissioning, quote, a wholly misguided premise that asked local and federal officials to trust that the plant's decommissioning trust fund had enough money for Holtec, quote, on its first attempt to decommission and restore the site at a pace never before achieved. Now, she has said that the agreement, which was come to only this past June, provides environmental, public safety, and financial protections during the dismantling and cleanup of the plant. What changed or did anything change? That's a really good question because we do see that they did get some concessions from Holtec. But the bottom line is, and I'll go through those concessions um, in a minute, but the bottom line is this agreement is signed by two LLCs, Holtec Decommissioning International and Holtec Pilgrim legal entities responsible for this agreement. What happens if they go bankrupt? So it's a legal entity that's responsible for the cleanup, but there's no legal mandate for the company to come behind it. Is that what you're saying? That's what we're questioning. You know, they did look for financial assurance and they're asking for $193 million to be kept in the decommissioning trust fund. That's what the state is asking. Yes, yes, that's in the plan. Yes, this is in the agreement. Because if you look at what Holtec has for assets, it's just the property, and that's it. Their parent company, as you know, is Holtec SLC Labelin, but they're a parent company. They're not part of the LLC. So we're concerned that um, they could become bankrupt. The Attorney General has suggested that when Holtec files to get the money back from the spent fuel storage fund reimbursements, they will use that DOE money to put back into the decommissioning trust fund to keep it at that level. Sounds like a shell game. Oh, yes, it does. It does. It does. And someone even asked, I think they asked the AG's office, what would happen if they don't put that money into the DOE fund? They 
Attorney General's office said, well, we'll have to chase them down. I, you know, I, I just love Maura Healy, our Attorney General, and that whole team. They're a great group of people. But when I look back at who they're dealing with, it's very disconcerting. You said you were going to go through the terms of some of the concessions that mm -hmm. were gotten from Holtec or this Holtec right. LLC. Right. What are they? There are three kind of points that I'll bring up because it is a pretty long document. But you know, all of these issues should have been resolved without having to have this long settlement agreement that took over a year to um, be signed. One is the financial assurance and keeping those funds, $193 million in the decommissioning trust funding for contingency plans, the partial site release. Um, and then $38 million after the partial site release for the spent fuel. They're getting detailed reporting. Now, the Nuclear Decommissioning Citizens Advisory Panel has been asking for, give us updates, let us know what you're doing, what is going on here, and hold, oh, no, no, they, they just did not cooperate in the most minimal way with the um, citizens group. So now they have to provide monthly reports. And then for site restoration, the Department of Environmental Protection and the Department of Public Health has asked for historical site assessments. Uh, they wanted ongoing monitoring of radiation and they wanted a site assessment and that's all going to happen. They're also hiring a site licensed person to oversee this. The person will be paid for by Holtec, but they're licensed by the state. And they're supposed to help with the reports to DEP and DPH. There will be an initial Pilgrim environmental site assessment that will be overseen by this licensed professional who's licensed by the state of Massachusetts, um, but works for Holtec and is paid for by Holtec. But that person will be providing reports to the Department of Public Health and the Department of Environmental Protection, which they should be doing anyways. That's just kind of communicating with the state on this huge disaster in our backyard. And what is the potential of this person who, while maybe hired by the state, is mm -hmm. working for Holtec and in that Holtec environment of being in some way compromised or impacted or influenced in the accuracy of his or her reports. This is the same person who's being hired who was part of the um, Yankee Row decommissioning and another person who was involved with that said he wasn't that good. So with the citizens are still going to have to be on top of this. We're just going to have to be reading all these reports and making sure that they're complete. One of the points that I found particularly disturbing is that Holtec seems to believe that once they are done with decommissioning or what they are calling decontamination, which I don't know is possible, they're talking about possible reuse of the site. What mm -hmm. in the world could they possibly mean by that? It sounds like just a sales pitch to me. Who is ever going to build on that site? And when the NRC came to Plymouth and talked about reusing the uh, property, they actually said they would build an elementary school next to the ISFSI. Meaning next to the site of right. Pilgrim. Right, where Pilgrim is now, they would allow an uh, elementary school to be built there. It was at uh, the November meeting, I think. I asked them and I said, could you repeat, did you just say, you would say it's okay once the site is released that an elementary school could be built right next to the ISFSI. And they mentioned Rancho Seco. 
And they said, well, that's still all there, but we would recommend elementary school be built there on that site. I've also seen that there are certain things that Holtec has said that they're going to do for the local community of Plymouth to assist them. What are these steps? In true NRC fashion, and Holtec follows that line, they will be putting trees around the IS, the independent spent fuel facility, to hide it. Instead of protecting us, they want to hide it as if nobody would know it was there. You know, bad actors know that site is so open, and we feel that we're much at risk to acts of malfeasance because there is no protection there. But trees, if you go down the driveway of Pilgrim, uh, there's under the no trespassing signs, there's another sign that says danger, poison ivy. It's true. I'll send it to you. It's true. <laughs> oh, I'm please. Like, you, oh, please send me that picture. Are you kidding me? Danger, poison ivy, right under the trespassing signs. Well, of course, that's the worst thing one can get from a nuclear <laughs> radioactive site. So maybe they're, maybe they're planning to plant poison ivy all over the property. That would probably be more effective than what their current security levels are. Right. And let me ask you about that. What security is Holtec going to be providing during this decommissioning process? Right. We asked Holtec and the NRC, what is the security, but it's kind of, what is that word? They can't release it because it's proprietary. But what the agreement did, and you'll be shocked at this, or maybe not, what the agreement did was look at cybersecurity, which there is none. Um, and they did get in the agreement that they will improve their cybersecurity and get this, they will use secure remote access methods, like they don't have that now, they will use only strong passwords, change default passwords, and consider other access controls. I mean, this is common sense security, and they don't even have it now. It's part of this agreement because the NRC doesn't require it. This is outrageous. And when they yeah. talk about cybersecurity, right. Right. excuse me, I don't know what cybersecurity is going to do when you've got a physical facility there with spent fuel rods, which are highly mm -hmm. radioactive, all the radioactive material that is from the containment vessel, and mm -hmm. all of the contamination that has leaked out during the decades of its operation. Right, right, right. So I know that you have been protesting against Pilgrim for how many decades is it now? Um, since the early 1980s when I went to a lecture by Dr. Helen Caldicott, and she just changed my life. She has a habit of doing that, mine too. Yes, yes. <laughs> More recently, there has been a lawsuit filed against you, or there are charges against you that mm -hmm. are calling you in for, actually, is this going to be a hearing or a trial? or what? Explain the circumstances under which these charges were filed and what it has led to thus far. In November of 2018, two national public radio reporters called me and asked if I could take them to Pilgrim to see the site, as I had been writing about how there's no security. I had gone on the site previously in August with Walter Robinson of Spotlight fame. And so I wrote about being on the property with Walter Robinson, standing there and no one, no security came out for about a half an hour. 
So we went on to the site in November and we stood around waving to the security cameras. No security came out. So about 20 minutes later, we got in our cars and drove to the main entrance on the other side of the property and went into the building to find the security. And they finally, finally came out after we were like calling them and we were told to leave and we said, okay. I said, let's take our time because I want to see if they're going to look out the window to make sure we really go down the driveway. And they finally did come out, looked at us. We waved and left. And three hours later, there was a knock on my door and it, there was a Harwich police officer. Now I live 50 miles from Pilgrim, about an hour away. And a Harwich police officer knocked on my door and asked me if I had been at Pilgrim that day. And I said, yes. And he said, well, you shouldn't go there. You could be arrested for trespassing. I just started laughing. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're in my home telling me not to go to Pilgrim when I was eyeballing those dry casks hours ago? So a few weeks later, I received a call from the Plymouth police, again, asking me if I was on the property. Yes, well, you would be charged with trespassing. You will have to go to a magistrate's hearing. So I actually was never arrested for trespassing. I had to go to a magistrate's hearing and say, yes, I was on the property at this date at this time. And then I was charged with trespassing. Can you imagine if I was a bad actor? And that's what we were trying to show is, you know, this isn't the first time in 2014 with Cheryl Fiendaka, a um, investigative reporter, filmed us on the property while armed guards are walking by us, going off the property, looking for people who are in the area. Yeah. And then with um, Walter Robinson later on. Um, so we were trying to expose the fact that there's no security here. I mean, if the NRC requires cameras, the cameras may be there, but they're not being monitored. And I don't even know if they're working. But the police report said, that we said, I said, that we went in an area that nobody could see us, and I never said that. So anyways, fast forward, the pretrial hearing was in September, but the district attorney wasn't prepared, so they moved that up two months. Another pretrial hearing, the district attorney wasn't prepared again, they moved it up again. Well, when they moved it up, they set a date which some of my witnesses couldn't make, Walter Robinson, he teaches at the University of Arizona. Michael Dukakis, former Governor Michael Dukakis, is at UCLA. These are the people who are going to bear witness on your behalf. Yes, yes, yes. And so we ask that the trial be moved to the spring when they come back from their teaching positions out west. But then COVID happened. And so it was postponed to July, and now it's been postponed again till um, September. So there's no way to do this virtually over Zoom. You can't see a magistrate or be on trial if- Well, it's actually a trial, yes. With a jury and a jury box and everything. Yes, 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 full jury trial. And Dave Lockbaum will be another witness too, former Union Concerned Scientist David Lockbaum will be a witness. And he wrote a really fabulous piece on the necessity defense in Pilgrim that I'm very appreciative of. So anyways, Having trees is not going to prevent an act of malfeasance. I can just imagine the potential for ill under these circumstances. I know that as regards Indian Point, somebody I know here who is a filmmaker showed some footage he had from a documentary that's not fully edited yet. And he was on the river facing Indian Point and very close to the intake, and he mm-hmm. just went there and he parked the boat and he said, well, we expect to have security out here any minute. 
And he kept on checking in. It's like every few minutes and then every five minutes and then every 10 minutes and then every 20. And it was a couple of hours and nobody had come out yet. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. this is a security risk within our country. But yet I think people yes. don't take nuclear seriously for the weakness and the potential for devastation that it does hold. Right. Absolutely. And especially with the spent fuel pools, you know, the Union Concerned Scientists completed that study with their Princeton peers that found if there was a spent fuel pool fire at Pilgrim, the contamination could extend from Manhattan to Nova Scotia. I'll send you that map. And we have brought it to every elected official, every testimony that we've presented has involved this map. Actually, Senator Markey requested it from the Union Concerned Scientists to look at what was in the spent fuel pool at Pilgrim and how that would be impacted. And when we were um, at the Pilgrim site, when the NPR reporters and I were on the site, they didn't call the police until we walked into the building because the, the police report said they were called at 11 o'clock. That's when we left. This is all terribly upsetting, but at the same time, not unexpected. When one looks at the risks that are taken to our health, safety, right. to the security of this country, based on domestic nuclear reactors, spent fuel pools, inappropriate mm -hmm. storage of waste, and even the unremediated uranium mines in Navajo Nation and on other native lands as well, on the Lakota Reservation as well. So... We are at risk from all directions. And I think Pilgrim is a particular object lesson if people are willing to pay attention to it. So what is being done now to snap people out of the, oh, well, it's closed, our problems are over frame of mind, and to realize that this is ongoing and it's not going to go away by itself? Oh, and that is a huge issue because... Now with this agreement, even people who kind of are in the know are saying, well, now that that's resolved. And I thought, no, it's far from resolved. This is a good start. The state has a little bit more oversight, but Holtec is still going to need to be under heavy scrutiny. And the citizens are still going to have to be picking and checking out all of these reports going to meetings, doing the research, and connecting with people across the country to make sure that our communities are protected because our government is failing to do that for us. What has been the hardest part for you in all of this work, especially after, shall we say, four decades of doing it? Mm -hmm. The hardest part is the disappointment in our government in listening to our citizens. And we're seeing that now in full bloom everywhere. It should be about our communities and we, our stakeholders and what we say and what we ask should be holding more weight than a corporation making profits. And how do you deal with this when perhaps it wells up and feels unbearable? Well, I feel privileged that I have the time and I have a supportive family and I can do this work. So I'm, I feel very privileged. So it's gratitude that gets you out of any slips mm -hmm. you might find yourself in. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Because you know what? It's about we the people and it's about govern with our consent. And we do not give our consent to this nonsense. Anything else you would like to add at this time that we haven't had a chance to go into? I would 
recommend uh, people read this agreement because this is the start of what's happening for decommissioning and particularly with Holtec buying up a lot of nuclear power reactors. I think this is, there's some really good stuff in here that other states might be able to model, but there's also warnings about wiggle room and that we have to stay ever vigilant to being on top of this issue. And if listeners to Nuclear Hot Seat were to come to the support of the work that you and the others are doing, what might that look like? What can we do for you? Stay on top of everything in your own communities and let's stay connected because we're all in the same boat. We are redoing our website to update it for decommissioning. So I can't send people to the website, but I would just say continue working in your own community, talking to your neighbors, writing your letters, and, and stay on it because, you know, it's about our future. And not only our future, but our children and our children, uh, children. children's grandchildren. Uh, yes. We have a responsibility to make sure the next generations are safe. And again, too, we have a campaign, Safety is a Human Right. That was Diane Turco from our interview from July of 2020. Now for the update, recorded on Friday, August 20th, 2021. What is the current status of the Pilgrim nuclear facility? And then we'll get into what's been happening since the shutdown. Okay, well, you know, we're calling it the Pilgrim nuclear waste dump for what it is. And we're really concerned that Holtec is presenting this as a very safe, kind of secure, it's okay kind of thing. It's going to be leaving soon, so we don't need to worry about it. And so there's kind of a, an attitude of it's okay for now, when in fact it's more alarming than ever. The more we are finding out about what's happening there, the more serious it is becoming. We have found that the security there is still very, very poor. Recently, some people went on the property again for quite a length of time, you know, right up to the dry cast, onto the property, beyond the no trespassing signs, and no one came out again. We had a letter from a whistleblower come out and, and talk about the poor security there and the poor following through of security regulations. And then this last situation was when um, I read about a report that the NRC was asking for additional information regarding ambulance services at Holtec Pilgrim. Yeah. Tell us about that, because that relates to the safety on the site or in the area, should there be a breach of the spent fuel pool or the storage casks. Right. And the interesting part of this story is it reflects the safety for their workers. This isn't even about public health and safety. This is about safety on site and how Holtec is so negligent to their own workers. The NRC sent a letter to Holtec requesting additional information regarding their ambulance services and, and safety plans at the ISFSI or their spent fuel dump. And um, one of the questions was asking them to clarify that the American medical response provides transportation for contaminated injured personnel. And that was the big point, contaminated injured personnel. And by contaminated, you're talking about being contaminated by radioactive materials. Yes, yes, yes. And the NRC's position is that an injury precedes contamination, that the injury needs to come first. So I thought, well, that's kind of an easy question. Why don't they just say 
Yes, it will. So I thought I'll just call up the American Medical Response Ambulance Service and ask them. So I called them up and asked, you know, would they transport a contaminated injured personnel from Pilgrim if there was an accident there? And they said, well, we haven't serviced that area in over four years. I'm like, what? You're listed in their NRC report as the service provider over four years. So I thought, whoa, I got to find out who is the service provider and will they transport a contaminated injured person? So in other words, Holtec actually gave documentation to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission saying, oh, these guys have got it covered and they're doing the work for us, but they haven't done it for four years. Exactly. So I contacted the Plymouth Police Department to follow up on who was the service provider. I spoke with the staff person there and they said Brewster Ambulance Service was a current provider. And I said, so would they transport contaminated injured personnel? And uh, the fire department said, no, they would not. They would have to decontaminate somebody first, do some gross decontamination. But no, the answer was no, they would not. So I called Brewster Ambulance their main office. And they said, well, the person who can answer that question isn't here. They'll get back to you. Two days later, no one got back to me. I called again. Oh, they'll call you later. Another day they never called me. And I thought, well, that's odd. It's a simple question. So I called the local Brewster ambulance service right in Plymouth, right to the horse's mouth and asked an EMT there the same question that's right on the NRC report. Would you transport contaminated injured personnel, and he said no. They needed to be decontaminated first. So that does no good if there has been a radiological release and somebody has been contaminated with who knows how much radiation as a result. They're basically stuck on site with the need to call an Uber in order to get to a hospital. They probably have something there to decontaminate people. I'm sure they do, but that they didn't answer the question on to the NRC made me really suspicious. So subsequently, I went to the Nuclear Decommissioning Citizens Advisory Panel to ask in public on the TV. And they, of course, somebody had called them and said that Booster was the updated service. So I knew they would have that. But they said it was immaterial. That's an immaterial question. Now, is that the position of the NRC or that's what Holtec was doing to say, there, there, Missy, don't worry your pretty little head about it? Holtec, because actually, you won't believe it. The NRC, I, I did get the definition of exactly what they were looking for. And that's when they said, the service needs to be able to transport somebody who's injured above contamination because the injury might be so severe. That's the priority. And so that's what they were looking for. We even had somebody from the state kind of back up Holtec and say, well, you know, we know we have a contract, an agreement with this ambulance service. So later on, I emailed that person and said, well, can I have a copy of that? Oh, we don't have the document. So, you know, every time you ask a question, you get a dead end. So I filed an allegation with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Explain to us what it means to file an allegation with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and what's significant about the way they have handled it so far. Usually an allegation comes from within the industry and people can file anything. Their identity is kept secret, so nobody gets any blowback. It's an avenue to file a complaint about something that somebody has seen. And I just put it out in public. I actually sent it to the NDCAP. I sent it to Senator Markey, Senator Warren. So it's out there. They don't have to hide my identity. But 
it's usually protecting whoever's going to be like kind of a whistleblower kind of thing. So the NRC said they're going to dismiss the first allegation that they used the wrong ambulance service and it was over four years old. They dismissed that because Holtec corrected it. But they are going forward with the second allegation that they still don't know if the ambulance service would do what they are required to do. And I said, this is an emergency situation right now at Holtec. They're putting the waste into the cans, those sheep cans, moving them up a hill. They've never done this before. They tested the, the big transporter and the hydraulic system broke down twice. So the NRC hasn't even had to be able to view a dry run yet. And they're doing that right now, right here in Plymouth. Well, I'm not in Plymouth, but in Plymouth. And we don't know if those emergency services are appropriate for any of their workers. And that's the bottom line. They're not even protecting their workers. Are there other false statements that you found that Holtec has made? (laughs) That just made my day. You know, when they first came to town, Joy Russell, the vice president of Holtec, sat in an auditorium at the Plymouth Middle School and said, we have an impeccable safety record. And I said, so tell me what's going on at San Onofre. That was at the exact time the NRC was having their special inspection for the near drop. And I said, and how many nuclear reactors have you decommissioned? She said, zero. Nice safety record. You've got none. And was there any further response to that? Or was it, thank you very much for sharing. Next person, please. No, it's just a really bad stare. (laughs) (laughs) So what are some of the other issues? I know we've gone over Plymouth in previous broadcasts, but there are, are there any more, shall we say, newer falsehoods that you have caught Holtec in that are reasons for concern? Recently, um, Mary Lambert of Pilgrim Watch received a letter from a security worker at Pilgrim stating concerns about the lack of security at the site and he did not think it was it was appropriate. And that's one thing that we've been very concerned about for many years. And secondly, a friend and a videographer went on the property site, passed the no trespassing signs, armed guards, security area, no parking, and went right up to where the dry casts are being stored. You can see these canisters from the street. It's a public road. It's an invitation. I said, all you need is a few picnic tables to be more inviting. And Holtec keeps saying, everything's fine. Everything's good. And, you know, it's just magical thinking. So they were on the property and no security ever came out. They walked around to the side where the reactor is and nobody came out. Once again, once again. So where does this currently stand in terms of what Holtec is doing, what Holtec is saying, what you and your group and Mary Lambert are seeing as the truth of the situation? Well, number one, we're all concerned about the canisters, the Holtec High Storm 100 canisters, the thin-walled cans. Are these the five-eighths of an inch thin canisters that are being used at San Onofre? Uh, they're half inch here. Oh, wow. Well, they sh- they managed to shave off an eighth of an inch from it. Yeah. Because, hey, it's only nuclear waste. Right, right. So we're all very concerned that the substandard cans are being used. We're concerned that the security is very lacking. And also here in the state, we have legislation 
that's asking for the canisters to be monitored for radiation temperature. They only monitor one and then they have those LTDs out in the field, but it's too late. It's too late. We need to be having cans that prevent radioactive release, not trying to mitigate after. We also know too that there is no mitigation plan for damaged leaking or even potentially leaking canister. I asked at one of the meetings what Holtec would do if a can was leaking. And they said they would put a larger canister, a concrete can, cask over it. And I said, well, you have already them out in the field here. Do you have one of those on site? No, they don't have one on site. It's in New Jersey. I think it must be just a mock-up. I said, so was that approved by the NRC? And they said, no. So if anything happens there, there is no mitigation strategy or plan. And as you know, they're making the um, emergency planning shrink right to the fence, right to the fence. Because we all know that when radiation is released from anywhere, it looks at the fence and goes, oh, we can't go any further. All you need is a chain link fence to keep it in, you know? <laughs> so, well, I did ask, you know what? The waste here is next to a public road. There's a big field in front of it. There's a four foot concrete fake stone wall, but on the hill of the canisters. And then there's a chain link fence. And above the chain link fence, you can see the vents of the cans. It is just a sitting duck. It's a sitting duck. And so we're really concerned about that. But the AG's agreement, the attorney general's agreement said that they would put shrubbery around there. And I asked it. <laughs> and it said, yeah, I said, it. this is a public meeting, Holtec. Could you shoot through that shrubbery? And he said, yes. And then nobody says anything. We're really concerned. We're really concerned um, that there's nothing being done in the effort to make things more safe. We see this waste staying here forever. That's our opinion. It can't be sent out to New Mexico and Texas. We can't do that. That's not right. And it's also not legal yet. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But Holtec had a public meeting where they had a slide that said, if all goes well, the waste will be leaving Plymouth by 2024. That was a public meeting. So I just think the people in the area are thinking, we don't need to worry about this. Holtec said it's going to be gone. Holtec says it's safe. Holtec says everything's fine. And you know what? People are believing that. It's nuclear industry gaslighting all over again. It's the way they operate. So what is it that you are asking or what is the next step that you are taking? What can be done? That's the big question. We've been in touch with Senator Markey's office. We've got legislation at the state house. We're asking that all the cans, each individual can is monitored and it's real-time monitoring to the state, open to the public viewing. In the state of Massachusetts, there is a state law that identifies a 10-mile area as a nuclear power plant area. That's on the books. That's not federal, that's state. We filed a bill, or two bills actually, one in the House and one in the Senate at the state level, to increase that nuclear power plant area to 50 miles and include nuclear waste dumps, until the waste leaves the site. Because nobody is recognizing that we are still a risk area with the waste here. It's not safe. And so we're trying to push that through. And so that's what we're doing here in the state. What can we do to support you? What can anyone listening to this do to help? If you know of anyone in Massachusetts, ask them to ask their state legislator, their state senator or representative to sign on to 
our bill SD 2622. Okay, it's an act to improve public health and safety standards in communities around aging nuclear power plants and high level nuclear waste dump sites. It's I think the first one in the country. And it's at the state level, we feel our federal government has failed us. Both Senator Markey and our representative Keating have introduced legislation that talks about 50 miles, the dry cast act says if they don't move the waste out of the pool within seven years, the emergency planning expands to 50 miles. That's gone nowhere. And the nuclear decommissioning act says communities within 50 miles should have some say in decommissioning. So we see at the federal level, there's already recognition of that 50 mile zone, whether a, it's an operating reactor or a shutdown nuclear power plant site with a waste dump. Communities need to have voices in what's going on. We need to get the public to be engaged in this. It's not an industry run issue. It's really a public run issue. And that's where we're going to get safety because, you know, the industry is about the bottom line. And it's not about public safety. And until the people step up and start speaking out about what they want for their communities, it's not going to happen. That was Diane Turco, director of the Cape Downwinders on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. It's a group that for more than 40 years has been fighting first to shut down the Pilgrim nuclear reactor and now to have it safely decommissioned. Activists, Activists shout out, shout out, shout out. Good news about the Kings Bay Plowshares 7. Patrick O'Neill is out of prison. On April 4th of 2018, seven Catholic Plowshares activists entered the Kings Bay Naval Submarine Base in St. Mary's, Georgia. They went to make real the Prophet Isaiah's command to beat swords into plowshares. Carrying hammers and baby bottles of their own blood, the seven attempted to convert weapons of mass destruction. They hope to call attention to the ways in which nuclear weapons kill every day by their mere existence and maintenance. Patrick was found guilty and had been in federal prison since January of 2021. Now he is out. He still has three months to stay in a halfway house in Raleigh, 550 miles away, and expects to have PTSD from his experience being in one extremely loud room with 115 men since January, and then 35 days in pre-release isolation with 30 other men and 27 loudspeakers blaring announcements that reverberated against the walls. But for a moment, he was out eating chocolate chip ice cream and homemade chocolate chip cookies. We wish him well and look forward to his full release on November 19. You are invited to join Kristen Iverson for a sneak peek of scenes from her forthcoming documentary, Full Body Burden, based upon her award-winning memoir. This will be available to stream on September 15 and 16. You can join the public discussion examining the legacy of the Rocky Flats nuclear weapons plant, the contemporary issues confronting Colorado, and our shared nuclear future. That will take place on September 16 at 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We'll have a link so that you can register on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 531. That's where we will also have a link to a petition by Code Pink, Women for Peace, 
which states that new money for nuclear weapons is outrageous and that we need to tell members of the powerful House Appropriations Committee that we need to defund nuclear weapons and invest in our communities. And on last week's show, number 530, we thanked Robin Collier of KCEI Radio in Taos, New Mexico, for use of the recording she did of the Taos Environmental Film Festival panel. We may live in gender-fluid times, but Robin has since informed me that she is actually a he and sent me a picture to prove it. My apologies for the mix-up and gratitude for your graciousness in setting me straight. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, August 24, 2021. Material for this week's show has been researched and compiled from nuclear-news.net, deunrenard.wordpress.com, beyondnuclear.com, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, kingsbayplowshares7.org, currentargus.com, portside.org, crosscut.com, counterpunch.org, Melissa Bumstead and Parents Against Santa Susana Field Lab Nuclear Disaster on Facebook, tokyo-np.jp, thebulletin.org, simplyinfo.org, and the captured and compromised by the industry they're supposed to be regulating, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Thanks to all of you for listening, and a big shout out to Nuclear Hot Seat listeners and followers around the world. Now, if you want to make certain that you never miss a single episode of Nuclear Hot Seat, subscribe. It's easy to do. Go to the website, nuclearhotseat.com. Look for the yellow opt-in box, put in your first name and email address, ba-bam! Every week, as soon as the show posts, you'll get a link and a short summary of the material that's included. And just for the heck of it, go to the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook page, click like, make a comment, share with friends. It helps us get the word out. Now, if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. And if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world, take a moment to go to NuclearHotSeat.com and look for that big red button. Click on it, follow the prompts, and anything will help. We always appreciate your support. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2021, Libby Halevi and Heartistry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as proper attribution is provided. This is Libby Halevi of Heart History Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that every nuclear reactor creates deadly radioactive waste that lasts forever. So for any Green New Deal to be genuinely green, it must not include nuclear. There you go. You have just had your nuclear wake-up call. So don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb.